Real-time analytics are difficult to achieve because large amounts of data must be integrated into a data set as that data streams in. As the world moved from batch analytics powered by Hadoop into a norm of real-time analytics, a variety of open-source systems emerged. One of those was Apache Pino. StarTree is a company based on Apache Pino that provides fast, real-time data analytics. Chinmay Soman joins the show to discuss Apache Pino in relation to other real-time analytics platforms and what StarTree has built on top of Pino. We are looking for a salesperson. If you're interested in working with us to help sell podcast spots, then send me an email, jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. Chinmay, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot. It's great being here. I'm really thrilled to talk to you because we're talking about a system that I am fairly unfamiliar with, which is Pino. I did a show about Pino, it must have been three years ago. I actually I failed to look up. I can't remember who I interviewed. It was a guy at LinkedIn who had done a lot of work on it. Um, Kishore, Kishore Gopal Krishnan? Nope, not him. It was, I think, a guy with a European name. Oh, Alexander um, Pucher, maybe? Yes, that's it. Alexander Pucher. I was very impressed with his knowledge of distributed systems and the analytics industry. But what I could not understand, and I think this was largely due to my lack of familiarity with the field at the time, was really what value Pino brings to the world that doesn't exist uh, or that did not exist prior. So I was exploring Pino in the context of Apache Spark, but more, I guess, Apache Spark, Druid. What else is in this is Click in this house. category? There's, there's ClickHouse. What's that? Uh, ClickHouse. Yeah. ClickHouse. Yeah. So uh, maybe what is commonly referred to as the open source data warehousing industry, right? That's a broad term. I, I think where Pino fits in would be on on a slightly narrower domain, which is on the real time analytics side of things, right? So you can think of you have your traditional big data warehouses, which is uh, you know, you have the verticals of the world or the open source technologies using Presto, Hive, and so on. And, and those are great at doing what we traditionally refer to as batch analytics. So you have massive amounts of data sitting in your data lake. Most companies will just put all of the data in this data lake and you want to do all kinds of analytics on top. You want to run your ML pipelines on it, you want to do interactive analytics on it, and then so on, right? So it's it's really good at doing that. What these systems are not optimized for is real-time analytics. And, and by real-time, there are two dimensions which are relevant here. So one of the dimensions is the ingestion latency. So how quickly can the data be queried once it's produced at the source? And that's what we call as the ingestion latency. And as you may know, Typical, you know, traditional data lake systems, the ingestion latency is in the, uh, typically in the order of multiple hours, it could even take a day. So data shows up a day later or many hours later, and then you can query them. And, and you often want, you know, there are many use cases where you want to quickly analyze the data as soon as it's produced within seconds. And that, that's the ingestion latency. And of course, the second dimension is the query latency. So you want to be able to, query, do analytical queries on this data really quickly in the order of milliseconds. And I can, a lot of this makes sense when when I go through the use cases. And that's where the real-time analytics domain stands completely apart from the big data analytics. So maybe we can jump so, into the use cases. Yeah. Know. So let's, let's contrast uh, what you just described 
with something like uh, Snowflake, for example. Right. With right. Snowflake, you have data that is that is produced. Let's say data that is produced by analytics systems at a, at a company like Uber or LinkedIn. You have vast quantities of data being produced, data streams being generated in rapid real time. They're probably being written to Kafka. And then you've got some kind of system that's like reading off of Kafka and throwing them into something else, which tends to be maybe S3. And maybe you're writing to S3 and in parallel, you're writing to some kind of data warehousing system. And then you've got like, I don't know, batch queries that are turning those raw data streams into materialized views that you're using in various systems throughout your company. And what you're saying is that with Pino, you unify a lot of that into one system where you can write very aggressively such that you can have uh, closer to quote-unquote real-time analytics. That's right. Yeah, the Pino was, was built for working well with, with the streaming systems like Kafka, right? So that, that's a great example where companies are just pretty much all the data, all the events are written to Kafka and then they can be immediately ingested and queried via Pino. That is, that is correct. It was built specifically for the real-time aspect of it. The Pino also supports a component where you can bootstrap large amounts of data from something like S3 and then load them into Pino as well. So it, so it actually has that Lambda architecture where you can get data from your real-time sources, get data from your batch sources like S3, GCS, or HDFS, and then put all of them under one logical abstraction. So for the same schema, you can have data source from S3 as well as Kafka and, and query that as one giant table, All right. So, so you have the typically how people use this is, let's say you want, you have a new use case and you want to analyze something like trips in case of Uber, you would put the last, let's say three months or one year of data from, S, from HDFS into Pino. And at the same time, you can have a real-time stream of trips coming into Pino as well, which is ever-growing. And then query this as one logical table. Right? So this, this really hides the complexity of the Lambda architecture from, from the user's point of view. So this is where it, it sort of stands apart. You know, Most data warehousing systems are able to do batch ingestion easily, so get data from S3 or HDFS, but are not able to, or not really optimized for getting events from Kafka and be able to query them as soon as they, 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 they are produced. So that, that's really where it stands up. You know, what, what you've implicitly highlighted here is just how much data engineering innovation LinkedIn did. I mean, I think about the data engineering innovation at LinkedIn, you've got obviously Pino because we're discussing this, but more importantly, Kafka, at least more importantly today, Kafka, Samza, which is probably underrated. I don't know if you've heard these, but a few years ago I did three shows. This was like my favorite piece of sponsored content that I've ever done. LinkedIn paid me some money to do three shows with, with LinkedIn engineers. And it was a blast. I did three engineers in one day. Sorry, three interviews in one day. I think it was about Kafka infrastructure, like the actual engineering of Kafka, and then something else, just various data munging and engineering and stuff. And LinkedIn just did so much in data engineering at a very interesting time in the evolution of the world of data engineering. So Okay, so you were at LinkedIn, let's see, I had your I have your LinkedIn profile right here. So you're at LinkedIn from 2012 yeah. to 2014. Kafka, oh no, no, sorry, earlier. You were there from 2011. Oh, Voldemort also. Voldemort yeah. was like a key value store, right? Right. Yeah, I started out in that project. So the same person who wrote Kafka actually wrote Voldemort before that, Jay Krebs. And, and it is a key value store meant for 
tracking things like you know likes number of likes number of shares where you don't necessarily care so much about consistency but you really want to be highly available that was really the premise of of the of the system so it was yeah, it was optimized uh, it was optimized for ap um so the availability and partition tolerance within within the cap theorem i love jay krebs and i think he might dislike me because i uh, <laughs> i criticized him on stage for changing the license of kafka Oh my god that, that that's a topic. Wasn't that it wasn't that a huge mistake? That was the biggest mistake he's ever made, I'm pretty sure, as far as I can tell. This is a guy who does not make mistakes and he made one very big mistake. I mean, you have to think about his passion right now is the company that he's building and then obviously the license plays a big uh, deal in in from of you know, the confident license is definitely something that they they want to control as a company. but but apache kafka is still apache kafka so that hasn't really changed right i think what has changed is the other parts which which are owned more by confluent and and, and that sort of makes sense it's it's meant for the likes of amazon shouldn't just come in and and start serving it out on their own without really being part of the community i think i think it's more catered towards those kind of things and and you know since we are a company around apache pino we sort of have similar thoughts about you know the apache pino open source makes sense that will never change but some things are more proprietary and and that should be a different license in my mind so i i'm i'm with jay on some of those things but this is the whole fundamental mistake is when you change your license like confluent did you're implicitly saying we don't have a product development workforce you're saying that our only product is going to be confluent and the associated services and somehow AWS with their random team that's working on Kafka is going to be able to compete with an entire multi-billion dollar company that's devoted to building a platform on top of a queuing system it's just not a realistic paranoia it's it kind of undermines the confidence of the company yes it might appear that way but keep in mind like most of the innovation is still happening in the open source apache kafka right so as far as i see and same thing with a lot of the innovation is being contributed back to open source and and we take a every day we we take a really hard look at what feature goes where and the principle is community comes first if something is good for the community so for example the zookeeper less kafka would be one example uh, on the pino side we added a feature called upserts which allows you to upsert data for an analytical database which which seems trivial if you're coming from the oltp database land but it's really hard to do in case of analytical databases and so this is a really fundamental feature that we supported we added in in the in the open source land right but there are some things which are, are just proprietary which might be needed for big companies or some of the specialized use cases there might be more more product focus on some of these components which are not in the open source right and you know i, I don't want to speak about confluent i definitely not in the position to do that but my feeling is you know it, it, it is a complex problem right we need to as a company be able to control the roadmap and things like that but at the same time it should also be source available so that other people can at least you know if they want to they can still run it on their own it's a tricky position of how you want to influence the roadmap for these products how do you want to grow the community around these specific proprietary components and at the same time make sure you know you have an edge in the market 
So it, it's not an easy answer. It is an easy answer. There's no reason to change your license. You're a technology company. You can pivot. You can do new products. It doesn't make any sense. Okay. <laughs> All right. Again, this is, you know, it, we, we used it, to... it's for another, it's a topic for another show. Yeah, it's... I, I'd love to have that conversation with Jay sure. or somebody else, but I'll just say publicly on air, Jay, you're an inspiration. I love you, but you made a bad decision. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And no hard feelings, I hope. So, okay, let's talk more about like real-time analytics and stuff. So this is a pretty critical idea. Like the fact that you can generate data on the fly and write it very quickly and read it very quickly. Right. I've done enough shows with various distributed systems to know that this is not easy to do. Actually, you know what I'll say is it's not even that hard to do. I think, you know, conceptually, it's obviously possible. What I find interesting about, about LinkedIn and this, the stuff you guys built is really what you had to do is just lay out the spec, right? You just had to say, this is what we need. And mm-hmm. it's very interesting. You were able to define the spec, which is a bit effectively, we need a system where you can write quickly and read quickly, basically. And once you define that system, there's a whole, there's a whole lot you can do there. You can build a, what would commonly be called a data analytics or data engineering, data warehouse thing. But it's actually like kind of novel to even think about as like a transactional database. I don't know if you can actually do that as a transactional database, but it's just what you're defining there is a very interesting set of distributed systems properties. Right. Yeah. So it, it's in hindsight, it, it looks like we sat down and we wrote down all the spec, but I think the reality is things organically happen. So we started out with massive amounts of, of data coming from Kafka. So Kafka really took off in LinkedIn, you know, bringing in events of all kinds, you know, application logs, system logs, uh, business events that were being produced by all kinds of microservices. And then there was a real need to start analyzing this data as soon as it's produced, right? Uh, so a good example was, people you may know, which was as soon as some things happen, if someone likes a profile or visits a profile, or even the analytics around your posts, those are real-time events. Uh, so you, you post something on LinkedIn, you want to see how it's trending you know, within within your network, and specifically, you know, what categories of people are watching the content. So, so you as soon as the events are being produced, you want to be able to group a breakdown of these views over different industry or ge- geographical locations and so on. So all these, same thing with ad analytics, uh, the ads being shown on LinkedIn, you want to be able to uh, see in real time how effective it is and who's clicking, how many people are viewing, what is the ratio and so on. So all this data was already in Kafka when these questions be- were being asked. So it was natural to say, hey, we need something that can ingest from Kafka at a very high rate and be able to query very quickly. And at the time, there was no need for a transactional semantics. So when Pino was originally built, uh, it was not. In fact, it was designed uh, to be not a transactional system. And a lot of the assumptions in the system were made to make it very, very simple. So events come in and they are append only. And most of the segments that are created in Pino are immutable. Right, so the data never changes within Pino. That makes it a simple system to operate and at scale. And so the initial adoption of Pino was around analytics, where consistency is not very important. But then, you know, over the years, especially at Uber, people really started caring about consistency because within LinkedIn, if your number of likes on a post are ten versus twelve, who cares? But when in Uber, 
they really started to care about the demand supply ratio of drivers and riders within a specific geographical region or the sales or, or the gross bookings that we are having within within specific areas right and they really started to care about consistency of data in that case and, and uber is really interesting because a lot of the data keeps changing keeps getting updated so if you do a trip the cost of a trip might actually change over the next few days so then we started to the new requirement came in where not only should you be able to write data fast enough and query data fast enough but the data itself must be consistent so if if you're updating the data it should be reflected in your queries otherwise you're just going to double count and and get inaccurate results right so the so the transactional semantics really came in from companies like uber i guess the meta point there is these the spec or the requirements actually happened organically uh, as the problems became more and more complex for us to solve let's kind of fast forward a bit you you've got a super interesting background in and this is actually i was looking at your linkedin for the first time right before the show and uh, we can definitely do additional shows you you've got so much experience you have um three and a half years at linkedin during some of the most critical times of the company and then uh, almost 6 years at uber right. which is incredible and then you leave uber and you started startree almost immediately so <laughs> you are relentless which i love let's get to startree pretty rapidly so just talk briefly about about like your experiences at linkedin and uber and how that took you to i'm sure you had a bajillion business ideas or at least more than one business idea why did you think startree was the best way to go right Yeah so let me start with LinkedIn which really opened my eyes to distributed systems. You're right that was a fascinating time. I think at the time we saw that the big data problems were were all showing up across multiple areas you know real time analytics batch analytics stream processing messaging and at the same time there's not many open source solutions out there. So it was a fantastic time and place to be uh, in in linkedin to work on to get to work on all these things uh, as you already mentioned there was a birth of like kafka samza which is a stream processing engine and i was intricately part of that team and also things like apache pino so it gave me a very good foundation of i would say real time analytics which is not just pino but also includes kafka and samza Uh, and and these are all the moving parts of the very complex real time analytic problems um, that we need to solve so with that good foundation i was again fortunate to be in a good place uh, at uber uh, which really uh, pushed the the need for real time analytics much more so than linkedin to a point where if some of our analytical pipelines were not performing well we would actually lose a significant amount of money because of that right so the analytics done at uber was really business critical uh, and it was not a good to have in that case so at uber i started with just building a system to compute metrics business metrics at scale right you have you can do slice and dice your different metrics like number of trips gross bookings and so on and slice and dice by geographical location or you know, obviously time the type of device that you're using and and so on right and pretty soon so initially this system was used by execs and pms to do future planning and think about 
financial incentives and which areas do we need to invest in more but pretty quickly we got into fraud detection we got into real time incentives for drivers and then of course doing things like search calculation and so on the what we saw at the time is analytics was going from an offline good to have use case to a, a much more business critical user facing use case so we, we saw a good example being restaurant manager where the analytics on the uber eats deliveries were being exposed directly to the restaurant owner that's very transformational for for such restaurant owners right so initially if you can think about how analytics was done a couple of years back someone internal would run complex queries generate mm-hmm. reports and then share reports to the restaurant owner and the restaurant owner only got to know what happened a day later or or, or almost a week later with with real time analytics the restaurant owner knows exactly what is happening at this point in time how many inaccurate orders or missed orders or menu popularity is true for that point of time and and that's being powered by apache pinot today and another example being orders near me feature if you if you use uber eats app you will see an orders near me of like what is the most popular items being ordered around me in in that particular geographical region and th- this is something also being powered by pino so what i saw was the role analytics was playing is getting more and more critical for the success of the business and the requirements mm-hmm. for these analytical systems were also getting more and more complex we went from internal analytics so internal analytics is where the data scientists or engineers which are like hundreds of them will be querying your system versus external analytics where all the restaurant owners which is you know half a million of restaurant owners or 700 million linkedin users were directly querying your analytical database and those are external analytics i think that's where we saw there's a real change in in how real time analytics systems are being positioned in in a company's te- uh, technological stack right so we it was clear that you need a solution which can sustain you know tens of thousands of qps for an analytical database and mil- uh, query latency within you know let's say 100 millisecond p99 that's the scale uh, we, we started to see within linkedin and uber and again this might seem trivial if you are dealing with mysql and postgres they already do that but for analytical databases that was never the case they were always mostly positioned as an internal tool rather than an external facing tool so that's where we saw there's a real opportunity in apache pino to be the analytical database that can support such external or user facing analytics it was an obvious choice for me at the time to see like linkedin and uber saw this before other other companies but every single company is going to need this at some point of time so if you talk about personalization right every single company will will need to personalize the user experience and if you really drill into personalization uh, it will turn pretty quickly into we need to do analytical queries per user or per uh, segment of users at scale right so it boils down to again external facing analytics so that was the motivation behind now let's build a company around apache pino and and make it available for those uh, who cannot run this on their own really right so that that's how startree 
began. The mission of Star Trek being to make Apache Pino an easy to use expedient for, for all kinds of companies. What's the best way to productize something like Pino? So like I've already pointed out my critique of the contemporary theory around building an open core company. So what's, what's the best way to productize this stuff from your point of view? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and again, this is something... By the way, I was, by the way, I was looking at your crunch base. It's totally unrelated. I was looking at your crunch base. Bain, Bain is doing a great job. I, it's kind of random, but Bain does really good investments in data infrastructure and like related, you know, highly technical engineering evaluations. <laughs> Yeah, I think it, I think it's part of the new line of thinking. Uh, you know, it was not traditionally, you know, not traditionally investing in in such companies, but recently, I think it's they're doing. They they are looking at, you know, the core technological companies that can, as I mentioned, be transformative for a lot of these businesses and customers. Uh, but yes, it's great to be great to have them, you know, back us up. It's a good company for sure. So regarding, you know, the product angle, right? That's a great question. I, th- I think we have th- this question, debate over it every day, because it, it is a hard question. With open source technologies, as I mentioned, every day we have to think about, hey, we are building this new feature. Where should it go? Should it go in, in the open source land or should should it be sold as a as a paid feature? And this is one angle. The other angle is everything is in the open source, and then you know customers will pay you for support, which is which is also fine, right? And and then you know we, we are still early in this journey. The way we are thinking about things is community first, right? So if if a feature is going to benefit a large section of the community, that's an easy answer. So Upsearch was an example where you, it is just contributed back to the open source, and then where we focus on on the product side is how do we make it really easy for people to use Pinot, right? So that includes deployment and installation, uh, ingestion of data. If you have played around with Pinot, there's a lot of things that you need to deal with for getting data into Pinot, right? For example, the data from Kafka may not be in the right format. It might be highly nested. It could be some of the columns are missing. The, The time column may not be in the right uh, format that you want and so on and you have to use a bunch of things to to get it easy to query within pino right? so this includes pino has these all these inbuilt tools to simplify ingestion but you need to be able to configure it accordingly so there is a, a little bit of a ramp up uh, new engineers or, or people like data scientists to start using pino as a company we focus on making that experience really easy how can a data scientist who has no knowledge of ingestion transforms within Pino still be able to use that and, and be able to do his or her job? Right? So in, in some sense, we want to get Pino out of the picture and focus on the problem. The problem being you, you, your data is in Kafka and you want to get this metric out. What is the easiest way to get there? Or you want to serve a personalized feature to the user from your complex data sitting across S3 and Kafka. What's the best way to get there? So, so the, the product angle is to tie up those loose ends and, and give a higher level abstraction to the users, if that makes sense. Right? Yeah, so, definitely. How would you compare your approach to what's the Druid company, uh, Imply? Imply? Yeah. So Imply and, first of all, Druid and Pinot are quite similar, right? They, in terms of architecture, also the focus on low query latency. Obviously, some of the things are different. Pinot 
was more optimized for user facing external analytics whereas imply focused i guess the focus was more internal analytics between imply and startree i think the approach is again very similar the community first so most of the things like make sure the the open source project is successful and as soon as that happens obviously the large companies are going to run there on their own but a lot of the small companies and even non technical companies will will need paid support to manage to to use a managed service so the approach is very similar across both these companies i think where where the the differences lie are in the use cases as i mentioned before pino will focus more on uh, personalization you know feature store for ml large scale user analytics uh, that, that's really the focus right and our and our selling point would be one click experience for any user whether it's an engineer whether it's a data scientist whether it's an exec or a pm to be able to do this quickly i think that's really the selling point so we are not catering uh, specifically for engineers that's really the philosophy behind sartri so how does the go to market compare then like the customer base are they similar are they overlapping do they want both startry and imply uh well no you will either have imply or or startry right the way i think about it is companies will think about their hardest problems right if the hardest problems are personalization that's a hard problem um let, let's take an example of personalization right um so in in case of let's say linkedin linkedin uses pino to personalize the news feed that you see on on your linkedin homepage uh, and what by, by that i mean it, it it there's a lot of relevance and ranking that goes on behind the scenes and it's it's using pino to do things like how many times has a given user seen this news item in the last 14 days or so and that go, uh, that becomes an input for the real time ranking so as things are changing as, as you are viewing stories the news feed keeps evolving and and this is a way of personalization another way could be financial incentives for uber drivers right so you have you have all the features from drivers being collected in real time as well as historical features and you make you use those features to make decisions around how much incentive should we give to a driver for them to continue uh, driving for uber or how much discount should we be giving for eaters to be able to uh, continue using uber eats for example and and, and for these features you are really looking at massive amounts of data all the uber drivers and riders and trips and everything and you want to do them at scale so you so every time an eater even opens the app you want to be able to run these queries which translates to multiple tens of thousands of qps uh, so in the end it boils down to how much qps you're doing what is the complexity of queries and what is your uh, low you know query latency requirements and i think that's where companies will make a decision uh, on uh, using pino versus other solutions so for these large scale use cases they are going to opt for pino because the other solutions don't compare in this spectrum and also you know the good thing about pino is if you can do the complex use case you can also do the simple use cases which is the internal analytics uh, so our our pitch is really pino is the solution you need for real time analytics so 
I have this theory, you know, the Michael Stonebreaker idea that the age of one size fits all is over. Have you ever read that paper or at least seen that yeah, paper? Yeah, you know, the yeah. idea. Yeah. So I feel like we're, we're going through like one size, the age of one size fits all is over 2.0. Basically the same thing is happening for data warehouses. You know, you want domain specific data warehouses these days, right? Yeah, true. And I didn't mean to say, you know, we, we, are, we position Pinot as the only analytic system. Just to clarify, you do need your snowflakes and you do need your, you know, Hive and Presto and, and Tableau and Looker and all these things are needed. So by all means, I mean to say uh, Pinot will replace them all. But where we are focusing on is there is a big gap in the real-time data analytics component, right? That, that's the gap we are trying to fill. So we are not going after the, the batch analytics workloads. The stuff where you, you all your ML pipelines run or you're, you're generating reports for your interactive analytics or ad hoc analytics even, right? Where you're data scientists are trying to do data exploration on massive amounts of data. All those things are definitely needed. What happens typically is once you do all these data explorations, you start thinking about, okay, I have these features or, or I have these metrics that I want to compute in real time. And that's where suddenly you, you see a lack of a, a cohesive uh, platform or a system to, to be able to do that. Traditionally, yes, people have been using, I'll, I'll give an example, right? Before we adopted Pino and Uber, the way they were doing metrics was to pre-compute everything. So they, they know what metrics they want to serve. Then they hired a bunch of engineers to go write these stream processing pipelines that will crunch all the data and then pre-compute metrics for across different segments. Right? And then these metrics were basically simple aggregations over different time buckets, like five minute, 15 minute, 30 minutes, and so on. And then you they build a query system on top to be able to combine all these buckets based on the given time range. So, so you, they really built all these complex moving parts uh, to solve a real-time analytics problem. And what we're saying is with Pino, all these complexities will go away. Right? You just need to point to your input Kafka database and you don't need any pre-computation. You don't need an additional investment in data engineering for real-time problems. You can just query the data on the fly. I think, I think that's really, it's actually not a generic problem. It's a very specific real-time analytics problem, which we are trying to focus on. Okay. Yeah, that makes complete sense. But really, the, the thing is, like you've said that that Druid is effectively a competing system with yes. Pino, right? Right. Are you sure about that? Does Druid really have the same spec as Pino? Yeah, I mean, in, in, at a high level, Druid can consume from, from Kafka. You know, they, they both support analytical queries. There is, it is meant for, you know, there is some overlap, of course. It's meant for, it's heavily optimized for internal analytics and be able to serve such queries over fresh data. Right? So the freshness, query latency, those things are similar. I think... The parts where they don't overlap are the external facing analytics. That's where I think Pino was, was built from the ground up for supporting these massive QPS and low latency queries. I think that's where, so there is a performance difference. There is also a difference in some of the use cases. For example, we recently added geospatial indexes to Pino. So now you can, now you can do geospatial queries directly in, in Pino. Or the fact that upserts are now available in Pino, which is not the case in Druid. 
So you can actually have data which is either have duplicates or have updates in them and be able to get consistent query results out of Pinot. That's actually not true uh, in Druid or ClickHouse. Um, so there are definitely a lot of the feature differences as well as performance differences. But if you, you know, squint your eye and at a very high level, they're all trying to do the same thing. They're all trying to give you ability to run analytical queries on fresh data. Okay, that, that fact doesn't change. So they are all competing <clears throat> in that domain. So if you want to build a dashboard, right, a, a simple dashboard that you know, plots metrics for your real-time data, you could actually build with any of these systems. But now the question is, you, know, you want to now expose that dashboard to your end user. Can that be supported on Druid and, and ClickHouse? Probably not. Because now, now you suddenly grow from hundreds of QPS to 100,000 QPS because you have directly enabled it for your end user. And, and that's where I think you need to make the right choice of, of what is your end audience for your real-time analytics. All right. Well, we only have like 10 minutes left, but um, I'd love to do another show as soon as possible. So let's, let's close out with some like macro level stuff. You saw the whole streaming versus data warehousing thing, which surprised us all, right? I mean, I don't know about you. I thought streaming systems were going to be the new hotness. It appears they're not. <laughs> Nobody's using streaming systems. Most people today probably have not heard of Apache Beam. Yeah, it's it's it's. I wouldn't say nobody's using it because, like, I mean, for example, Lyft and Uber both are uh, using Beam to a certain extent. You're right, though. It's not. It hasn't uh, replaced the old systems, if you may. Uh, I, I think that hasn't happened. In, in that sense, you're right. I think the and I can talk about you know my thoughts on why that is the case. But did you have any other question there? Or sorry to cut you off. Well, no, no. I mean, so I just find it curious. It's really interesting. I feel like streaming systems will have their day in the sun. Maybe it's that company Materialize, right? Isn't that an interesting way? Materialize. Yeah, so Materialize is doing is making. But you know, wait, but Materialize, they're not open source, right? No, no, they're not. Uh, That's so, crazy. They're making such wait. They have a GitHub. Wait, Materialize Cloud is now available. They have a GitHub. Is it open source? Uh, last I checked, probably not. But I could be wrong. But they are making. I think the they are trying to make the stream processing uh, a one-click magical experience for the users. Right. So you you don't need to write code. You can you can basically write a query to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, I stuff. don't know. <laughs> Whatever. I, it's not and good we, marketing. It's not good marketing. We have been we have been down that road. Um, in fact, a system that we built, Athena X in Uber. You should definitely check that out. A bad Athena name. X. It's a terrible name. <laughs> Uh, but that was one of the first systems to actually do. It sounds, it sounds like a pharmaceutical drug. Yeah, it's, Athena it's, it's, X. <laughs> it's, it's also confusing because there's Amazon Athena, which is, which is yeah. pretty different than, than what, what we are trying to do. But we started out with the goal of, you know, making SQL as a first class citizen. And our, our end vision was, you know, this is going to replace everything. This is going to, if people can write SQL, and you know, here's a Kafka topic, write the SQL and I'm done. We really thought this is going to dramatically change things. And in Uber, a lot of things did dramatically change because of that. We saw engineers and operators. So Uber operators are people who don't necessarily have engineering background. They were able to write complex pipelines with, using SQL because everybody knows SQL. Uh, so we, we did see a lot of that 
improve significantly. But for it, it's like an 80-20 rule. A lot of the common problems are in the 80-80% uh, of the problems, but the remaining 20% are, are just, you know, SQL may not be enough. Um, it's just too complex to, to author in, in, in SQL. And then you you have to bring in all these other technologies to, to solve the problem. That's one. We also saw push versus pull analytics, right? So streaming is more push analytics, where you have data continuously coming in, you do some processing, you make a decision, and, and then you, you, know, you, you take an action based on that decision. Uh, this is what I refer to as push analytics. The problem with push analytics, it works great when there's not much state to reason about. If you are maintaining a state for like 30 minutes, uh, so you're, you're getting data in, the state stays there for 30 minutes, and then you flush it out, that works great. But if your state grows to, let's say, one week, uh, these systems suddenly don't appear as useful. Either they are too costly to operate, or, or they just don't work for such a massive state when you want to make a decision. And that's where like, you need things like Pino, where Pino can handle a lot of state and, and a lot of the same queries can be executed in Pino. So it's more like a pull analytics. So you, you put your data in Pino and you pull your insights out of Pino. Right? So, so I think you need both for things like fraud detection right, or, or alerting system. You need push analytics because you need to continuously process the incoming events, look for anomalies, and then as soon as you see something, you trigger it. So you take an action. That's why you need the push analytics. And then you know, on the pull analytics side, this is where your dashboards come in. You have massive state. It's not continuous. It's based on your applications mm -hmm. or, or user interaction. Uh, and that's why you need Pinot. But none of these will replace, as I mentioned, the batch analytics, which is much more complex, right? You need running regression analysis on, on something like this is just unthinkable right now. And it has to do with how easily can you store petabytes of data in your streaming systems? How easily can you run complex computation in, in your streaming system? So I think it is still growing. And one day it might come to a point that everything is streaming, uh, but not today. I, th I think we have ways to go for that reality to happen. Okay, well, we're very close to the end of our time. Any last reflections on building a data engineering product in 2021? <laughs> in uh, two minutes or less? Yeah, so you know, obviously lots of options out there. There's not one thing out there. So, so we need to focus on the right value for the customers, right? So A, uh, for any of these products, open source is key. Making it extremely easy for a large community of users is, is very important in my mind. So if you make your open source project successful, the company will naturally follow suit. That's one. Focusing on data quality, consistency, these are the problems which have traditionally been ignored in data engineering. Uh, I think those are the new things that are not exactly new, but on the real-time data engineering pipeline, I think that's the, the new focus. We, we do see that for renewed interest in accurate real-time analytics, which was never the case before. And then, you know, third, it is going to take time for all the, all these systems are immature in my mind. They're all starting out new. You know, if you think about MySQL and Postgres, it, it took them decades to get to where they are. And in, in uh, my thinking is the, the real-time analytics system is quite, uh, <laughs> is, is still young. We, we still need to make significant uh, investments, uh, no matter what open source technology you're talking about, 
to be able to get to the maturity of something like MySQL or Postgres. I'll end with that thought. <laughs> All right, man. Well, until next time, I had a blast. I look forward to learning more. We should do the next one in person. Yeah, definitely. I, I would, I would love that. I've been, I've been a fan. I mean, obviously. Oh no way! No way! <laughs> I should have started out with that. <laughs> Nah, I definitely nah, nah, nah. enjoy, you know, hearing about all, all your stories. It's, it's fantastic. So very, very happy to be part of this.